because with creative types, I think the trust aspect comes in someone kind of saying, I have this idea. I really believe in it. And you say, okay, go ahead and do it. And then you see that they followed through on it and really did what they were going to say. And it's great. And, and I think with creatives, that's where trust comes from. Hello, Spacers from Austin, Texas. I'm Christopher Schmidt. And today's show, I'm joined with Dan Jurgens. Dan has been working for comics for over three decades. He's written for DC and Marvel, including Spider-Man, Green Arrow, Justice League of America, and his own character he created, Booster Gold. He's best known for killing Superman in the early 90s, and that was quite simply an international news frenzy when it happened, if you weren't around when that happened. like Nothing like that has ever been duplicated before. And right now, though, he's working on Superman, who, surprise, is alive, as well as uh, Batman Beyond, under DC Comics' Rebirth campaign. Dan was really gracious with his time, discussed his career, the running process for himself, and also on Mammoth crossover events, which require collaborations with a whole bunch of teams on their books. Also, I want to talk to him about the technology, the web, and the browser, and how it's changed the comics industry and for him uh, personally. Before we get started, some notes on where I'll be and some words from our sponsors. CSS DevConf 2016, the AMO, is taking place this October 17th and 18th in San Antonio, Texas. Learn from the latest by hanging out with the greatest. Chris Coyer, Jen Simmons, Snook, Trent Walton, and many more. Learn more about the sessions and workshops if available at cssdevconf.com. The Virtual Web and Mobile Accessibility Conference event, the Accessibility Summit, is taking place on September 4th and 5th. Register now and get recordings for free at a11ysummit.com. Again, that's a11ysummit, all one word, dot com. Fancy Hands is a team of virtual assistants at your fingertips. For example, if you need a plumber, have them research the best plumbers in your area and schedule for an appointment while you work or take a well-earned nap. So Fancy Hands is letting me give you 50% off the first month when you sign up at Christopher.org slash Fancy Hands. Again, that's Christopher.org slash Fancy Hands. Set it and forget it with a non-breaking space show newsletter. When a new episode is ready, it'll be sent straight to your inbox by signing up at newsletter.nonbreakingspace.tv. Find show notes and links at nonbreakingspace.tv. Be sure to follow me. Christopher Schmidt on Twitter at Teleject, T-E-L-E-J-E-C-T. As always, thank you for subscribing, liking, telling others about the Non-Breaking Space Show on iTunes. Now, up, up, and away. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. So my first question is uh, just talking about uh, when you first broke in, I researched it, and it's like you were, you went to the college at Minneapolis College of Art. Right, in, in, right. And you were working as a graphic designer, is that right? I was, yes. Okay. So what type of things were you working on? What type of projects? Well, at, at the time, I was, you know, through my college years, I had an internship with um, Honeywell, which was a corporation that at that time was a major defense contractor. Mm-hmm. They also did, uh, I believe, the flight systems for the space shuttle and things like that. And so really a lot of what we did was prepare artwork 
that reflected those things. And it might have been weapon systems or, you know, space shuttle flight controls, all sorts of different things like that, all of which to a certain extent lends itself to comics. So you take that, uh, mix it with my design skills and my interest in comics, and I would draw that kind of thing. And then um, one time, uh, Mike Grell, who had created and was writing and drawing The Warlord, mm-hmm. uh, was in town making a personal appearance. And I stopped, uh, talked to him, showed him my work. And, you know, one thing kind of led to another. And a couple of months later, I was drawing The Warlord for DC Comics. Wow. And, and like one thing led to another, like that's, you know, that's, that's pretty awesome like, that that happened. Like it was just, was just like, a, and also Warlord is, is a comic uh creation of, of his own right that was his. right and and what had kind of happened christopher is yeah. that at that time mike had stopped drawing the book anyway and okay. they had had uh someone else drawing it they wanted to make a change so they were kind of at that okay. time looking anyway and um you know they gave me a script and they said you know i think draw the first five pages and they had someone else do the exact same thing yeah. and when it was done um they called me up and said, guess what? You're the winner. And the, and the agreement at the time was kind of like, we'll give you a couple of issues and see how you do. Mm-hmm. But a couple of issues turned into 20, maybe 25. And I started doing other things for them. So, right. you know, I was off and running. Okay. That's awesome. Well, yeah. Yeah. And then, um, and then, but you also write comics as well. So you've, you've written several comics by now, of course, but uh, how is the transition between going from, um, drawing comics from a script, I guess, you know, from a script. And I guess my other question is, is like when you write script, draw from a kind of book from various writers, is the script a different or they follow like a type of a screenplay type of format or, or is it? It tends, you know, different writers have different techniques. And um, to step back from that just a little bit okay. in comics, um, for the greatest part of their history up until, you know, the, the 60s or so, comics were written on a full script basis, which looked a lot like a screenplay. Yeah. Um, at that time in the 60s, Stan Lee and some of the artists at Marvel kind of pi- pioneered what we now call the Marvel method, where Stan would either basically just explain the plot to an artist or he might have written it down as a couple of type pages or might have typed it out in more detail And the artist would take that and draw it, and then later Stan would go back and add the actual dialogue. Mm -hmm. Um, So the time I got in, uh, I was working from on Warlord from full script, Mm -hmm. but I soon started working with Jerry Conway, who was a writer-editor at DC, who was working on a plot basis. And we first did, I think, a couple issues of Batman together uh, that he wrote and I drew, and then we launched a series called Sun Devils. And... Uh, Jerry wrote the first six or seven issues, but part of it was we would talk on the phone all the time and sort of plot things together. And plus, you know, I'd write dialogue suggestions in the panel borders and things like that when I drew. So when the time came when Jerry said, I don't have the time to write this anymore, uh, he knew that I had always had an interest in writing myself and pursuing that somehow. And he was kind enough to say, do you want to do this? So I did that. Uh, finished out writing that Sun Devil series, and then from there, um, pitched DC something called Booster Gold, and was off. And from then on, you know, I've been both writing and drawing the bulk of my work, and to the probably to the extent where a lot of people now think of me more as a writer than an artist. Right. Uh, 
and that leads me to booster gold. Like, uh, so how do you, uh, I guess, you know, you, you would have a successful, uh, working for DC comics already. They know, they know your work. So was it, was it relatively easy to pitch booster gold to them? Uh, it was, yeah. And it, it actually was one of those things where at that time they were looking for, I mean, in the eighties, mm-hmm. DC was a great place to be and be, and part of it was because they were very creator friendly and very open to creator ideas. And I think we saw that, um, actually, you know, proven in print with stuff like Watchmen, Dark Knight, Camelot 3000, mm-hmm. uh, a number of other things. It, it really was the idea that if you, or the thought that if you have an idea, talk to us about it and, and we'll see. So, yeah. and, uh, you know, I was talking to Dick Giordano that one or one day and he was um, uh, vice president at the time and I think executive editor. And, and I just started explaining this idea about a superhero who was in it for the celebrity angle and the endorsement angle. And he said, you mean like a hero for hire? And I said, no, 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 it's not that. It is, it's somebody who wants to be on the cover of People magazine and somebody who wants to have fun do it and get the notoriety that comes along with it and make money for endorsing products. And so we said, you know, uh, we talked probably for about an hour and he basically bought it on the spot. And oh, wow. um, we we went forward um you know, I put together something in writing because at that point I didn't even have anything written down except my own notes and my notebook and such. And I gave it to them, and and uh, they went for it. I don't, I don't know if it's okay to ask, but like, like how how is writing your own? I mean, it's a blast, I guess. But writing your own idea, you know, your own comic creation within DC Comics is just just been, uh, you know, is it harder to do that or is it easier than to say like, Hey, I have to write an issue of Superman today. In order well, to the, the, the hard thing at that time was I didn't know what the hell I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, seriously, I was probably, uh, 23 years old, maybe hadn't written a lot. Um, and, and I think what, what comes out in those pages is yes, I knew how to put a page together. I knew how to put an issue together, but actually constructing a series and, and constructing, sort of uh, a series that people are going to want to come back and absolutely make sure they read every single month and, and making it, you know, memorable that way was something that, well, let's just put it this way. I think it's pretty apparent it was someone who was learning on the job. And, you know, if I had it to do all over again, I think that, you know, it's safe to say you would see a very different sort of result um, in a brand new series. But, it is what it is. And, and I think what also comes through is the sincerity of the effort. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it's so the difficulty really was in learning how to write a comic book series, which is a whole lot different than having an idea for a comic book series. So I know um, researching uh, uh, the old the 80s Flash, like with Mike Barron, who kicked off the, the Wally West as Flash series, is like uh, researching what he had to say about writing uh, stories is that he always wanted to make sure that the uh the cliffhanger was always like there's always something like, like punchy that like you, the person had to come back to and right and so um and so there's a, you can see that cause he, he used to write a lot of uh two-parters for flash in the day so like it was like you know always but uh but there's always like that you know the 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 floor would just fall out from, from underneath you when you flip the page or something like that so um well, I, I always describe writing as sort of like wading into a swamp. 
Whereas, you know, the first chapter you're in up to your ankles and everything's cool. And then you go a little deeper and you're in up to your knees and, and, um, everything is still cool. And by the time you get to chapter seven, when you're yeah. trying to figure out how to end it, yeah. you know, everybody sort of knows their ending, but all of a sudden when you're actually in the process, it's a little different. And at chapter seven, you're in up to your chin, you turn around, you can't see the shoreline and the quicksand is pulling you under. Um, and, and I think writing is a lot like that. So if you then sort of step back from that a little bit, and do break it down into issue by issue increments and say, how can I get that cliffhanger or something at the end? I, I always think of it as more a point of drama. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can be a revelation. It can be a lot of different things that keep someone coming back. And then I think that becomes from a formatting standpoint, a really solid way to work. Right. So is that, do you have any like lessons that you've, that you've learned, like just that for, for how to write now that you, that you, they've learned or they wish you knew back then? I, I think the big one is pacing, mm-hmm. uh, that you, and I see this in a lot of, um, newer writers as well, which is getting a handle on pacing, I think can be difficult for a writer because a reader's reaction is always going to be different than the writers. I think writers, what we have a tendency to do is get to the point, say it's page six, and you get to the point where you want to have this major conversation between two characters. It's supposed to get to the core of their souls and reasoning and everything else. And all of a sudden, that goes from page six to page 19, right? Because that's it. The reader's reaction to that is going to be different in most cases because a lot of us can't pull off 14 pages of just conversation between two people. And it is the idea that you have to pace it something like that within the context of the story. And it has to fall within the context of if it's a six issue story, that's six issues that things have to happen. There have to be the dramatic moment, uh, the dramatic moments. And I think, you know, what I see a lot is this idea of writers almost falling in love with the story too much Mm -hmm. and not understanding that what they need out of it as a writer and what the reader needs out of it as a consumer can be entirely different things. So is it is writers just being too smart for their own good type of thing or uh probably not too smart for their own good, but I think we have a tendency to fall too much in love uh with our own story and our own characters sometimes. And it's it's sort of like I say about a PowerPoint presentation. Yeah. Every single PowerPoint presentation I have ever sat through could have been edited down by a good forty percent, right? right? I mean, to me, that's an absolute truism. Everybody they, they're putting it together. They fall in love with everything they have to say and every slide they have to show and everything else. And so they get up there on stage and, you know, 10 minutes into it, the viewers are sitting there going, oh, my God, when is this guy going to get done? And, and I think it's because we get too into it and we have to be cognizant of the audience. So I think that's a mistake a lot of us make. It's something I really try and check at the door. Um, and I still will always say is a total truism for PowerPoint presentations from everyone. Yeah. 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 Well, it's, uh, my day job is actually, uh, I'm a conference organizer. Okay. okay. <laughs> so, so I, I've seen a lot of presentations. So, uh, I'll, I'll leave that. I'll, I'll talk about that another time then. Okay. <laughs> so about that. I hope I didn't insult anyone. By oh that. no, no, no. Like, uh, no, no. Uh, we, we've, we've had people, it, you're, not, you're not insulting my uh, PowerPoint at all, or anything. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, they, uh, they they've they've dug their own hole. But uh, I'm great at it. But uh, 
but we love Microsoft. So. But um, I, I do know I've probably insulted a whole bunch of people who will remember me sitting in their audience at some time now. <laughs> Uh, but, it's, but there's a rule of thumb, like, because we, we do a lot of web stuff, and so there's a rule of thumb for content on the web is that when, just write what you need to write and then cut it in half uh, so you get rid you know, of the, the word count to, to half and then uh, cut it in half again. And then that's because no one wants to read uh, War and Peace on, on a web page. So that's right. So I think that's kind of the same maximum as PowerPoint. So no one wants to sit through a. Uh, no one wants to sit through PowerPoint if they don't have to. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So, because uh, we talked about uh, writing your own uh, kind of book and, and, and getting a handle on it, the, the point of drama, um, which, which, uh, which I love the phrase point of drama. Uh, but then you, um, you know, then you, you were writing for Superman. And, and one of the things I, I learned, like, a while back is that there's actually these annual retreats at DC Comics. I'm not sure they still do them or not, but uh, yeah, yeah. They, get, they get everyone together who's working on the Superman project or, or a regular issue of Superman, like because there's at least four or five titles going on at once. Um, and so they kind of plan out the editorial I guess, calendar for the next year. Is that true? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And uh, so how's, besides saying that, like how's, how is that working on a, on a, a, a character like Superman, title like Superman, other than that, like, like, how is that different than saying Booster Gold or something? Well, there. I mean, obviously, uh, with a character like Superman, it's just anything we do is going to get more attention just because of the notoriety of the character. Uh, yeah. You know, had I done the death of Booster Gold, yeah. no one would have cared. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just the way it would have broken. Yeah. Wouldn't have made the wouldn't would not have made the national news. Um, the other part of it is it, it was working on Superman at that time was sort of a team writing exercise. Unfortunately, we were able to grow into it organically. Mm -hmm. When I first walked onto the books, there were just two titles, Superman and Action Comics. Uh, Or I take that back, Adventures of Superman, and then we action kind of came back to it. So we slowly built that methodology of, of telling, you know, stories that were larger than just one title. We started to set it up, and we first did it with two books, then expanded it to three books, and then ultimately to four books. So we were able to to kind of figure out how to do it um, and then grow it to something larger organically. But a lot of what had to happen is, you know, we would get the writers and artists in a room together, and, uh, you know, we might disagree on the specific stories, but I think one thing we absolutely had was a common vision of who the characters were, where I think if you would have asked us, we would have been in almost total agreement on who Superman was, who Clark Kent, Lois Lane, Perry White, and everybody else was, and how they would react to different situations. You know, so it would come up, would Superman do this? And we would almost always agree on. And so if you start with that common understanding of character um, and character interactions, then you can start to build story off of that. And that's what we were able to do. Would you guys do like, I guess I'm just trying to visualize what, what type, what type of, would it just be like a round, like a office board meeting or a cabin in the woods, you guys doing trust exercises or? or? <laughs> <laughs> we, we didn't do any trust exercises. Okay. I don't know that those really even existed at that time, but yeah. There were a couple of times where rather than meet in the office, we were able to go somewhere else mm-hmm. and have some fun working on it. Um, 
you know, we did one down in Florida. We were able to get to Disney and everything. We did another one upstate New York. And we 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 go different places so that we were out of the office where, you know, we could hit the bar at night. We could have some fun. Um, it, so there was a relaxing mm-hmm. element to it as well, because with creative types, I think the trust aspect comes in someone kind of saying, I have this idea. I really believe in it. And you say, okay, go ahead and do it. And then you see that they followed through on it and really did what they were going to say. And it's great. And, and I think with creatives, that's where trust comes from. But by and large, it always in the final analysis ended up with us sitting in a room and we would hang charts on the wall with the titles of the four different books on them, you know, action comics, adventures of Superman, Superman, whatever, and all the issues numbers written on them. And sometimes we would each be putting together and plotting our own individual titles. And so what it might be is me saying, okay, I need Jimmy Olsen for three months. Uh, and he's going to be wearing this red jumpsuit. So if you guys need Jimmy Olsen in your book, he's got to be wearing the red jumpsuit, okay? You, you know, just so that the secondary characters crossed over okay. And then there were other times when the main stories uh, crossed over and it became one continuous story. And we were. Yeah, and that's like, uh, you know, continuity is very big. You know, I think it's bigger now than ever, like, you know, the, the Marvel. Uh, movies and uh, and I, uh, I guess I want to say I want to say Lost, but I'm not really sure why I want to say the TV show Lost. But uh, but yeah, but that's one of the things uh, that that was really interesting seeing the comic books be almost like a weekly comic book, but with different titles and different uh, just having the whole like weave of going from one to title, but it was still like the uh, the triangle numbering, if you will. Like, right. But yeah. Right. So yeah, and yeah. and people reacted to it mm-hmm. very very well, and I think what it did is it allowed us to tell massive stories. And people look back on it and they tend to think of it as, you know, whether it was Crisis of the Crimson, Kryptonite, or Death of Superman, you know, whatever we did, um, that they remember the big stories. But the beauty of that format is it actually gave us so many pages that we could spend a lot of time developing the supporting cast. And so we could spend time on Perry White and Jimmy Olsen and other people, characters within the books that otherwise would not have gotten nearly that much, you know, screen time, if you will. And that's what made it more real to people. And and so really the beauty wasn't just being able to tell, you know, the big epic stuff. It was being able to really hone in on the supporting cast. Uh, This is, there's a back issue story um, during the, uh, I think it was during the law the Superman was exiled in space, mm-hmm. but it was like probably the best Lex Luthor story I've seen in terms of uh, him trying to acquire Star Labs. Oh yeah, hostile takeover. I thought that was one of the best stories of like who Lex Luthor is uh, without Superman being there, and like right. not have, And I felt like that was like so when uh, I would talk about the recent movie uh, Batman for Superman, I was like. I'm not really too happy with that version of Lex Luthor because this is the version I really would love to see because I feel like that version is more tuned with what I, you know, I think people, I, me, I personally would see that. But, uh, but that, that, I thought that, you know, born of that, I'm not sure if that was a, because uh, that was a separate storyline altogether. So I was not really sure if that was part of the, 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 the um, planning stages for, for well, you. You know, it's, I drew those stories. Um, at that time when we had Superman in exile, mm-hmm. uh, Roger Stone, 
Roger Stern wrote, and I drew that particular story. And at that time, it was just two books. That's where I say that's where we were kind of learning how to do it. But uh, the reality is that, again, I think that whenever we had Superman gone, you know, we always found good things to do with Metropolis or the other characters there. But a lot of that is, again, because we were able to create a format where people got to know them and care about them. And, and I still say to this day, um, in part because recently I've been writing a lot of Luthor, I think Lex Luthor is probably one of the five most intriguing characters in the DC universe, that he is so tremendously complex that I, I think I, I could just write Lex Luthor all day long. He's, he's a lot of fun. Yeah. And, um, and that's one thing that I liked also about uh, the Wally West run, uh, the initial hundred issues or so of, of Wally West is the eighties. It's like, it wasn't him. It was just a supporting cast yeah. that, that made it, made it really great. So, but very I told, yeah, right. Was, right. Well, this is, this is cover the ground. Uh, you, uh, uh, how did the uh, death of Superman uh, come about? Was it, was it, was it also during this round table discussion or like, it, well, it, you know, it, it, there's a label that's been put on it, but it kind of morphed up. I think my memory is somewhat differently. And and that is it had come up at a meeting or two earlier where we kind of, because one of the conversations we might have would have been, you know, what were the most famous Superman stories that, that had ever been published? And we would talk about things that way. And one of them had been the death of Superman. And I know we had talked about it at an earlier meeting and said, gee, is there anything there we could ever do? I mean, that was such a great story. How do you top it? Uh, and then going into this particular meeting, we, uh, Superman 75, where the death took place, was actually going to be uh, the wedding of uh, Clark Kent and Lois Lane. But that had gotten put on the back burner because at that time there was a show called, you know, Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. And, and they were going to build to that a little later. So we said, what else can we come up with? for something like that. And I know that prior to the meeting, I had mentioned it to a couple of guys in phone conversations. I, I think we should do the death of Superman. And I went in and I had two ideas written on the paper. One was just death of Superman. And the other one was I wanted to do a story that just trashed the hell out of Metropolis because one of the frustrations I had as an artist, Superman had no one to fight, you know, whether it was Miss Lex Luthor, Mr. Mikshaz Pitalik, or Prankster, or Toy Man, I mean, it was all these guys, but Superman couldn't punch. And so we were in the meeting, we were talking about different ideas. Um, it got tossed out, I, I think Jerry, we had talked earlier, said something about death of, maybe we should kill him, and then we started talking about story ideas. And, and what could we say through the death of Superman? Because Mike Carlin, who was our editor, said, okay, okay, so what, you kill him, and then what? What's the story? And we started talking about that, and then the idea of a monster attacking Metropolis sort of got fused in with that. Um, That monster became Doomsday, and it's just like, you know, building a story is not a linear process, and especially when you have a lot of people in the room, it kind of zigzags, it goes like this, and back and forth, and up and down, but that's what we did, and the primary concern ended up being you know, what do we say about Superman when he's gone? And what we realized during those conversations is that when someone dies, you know, that's when 
we really talk about <clears throat> what they meant to us, what they meant to others, and what they meant to the world. And those are the stories we wanted to do with Superman Gone. And it's like, gee, there are Mon Pa Kent watching on TV as Superman dies, <clears throat> watching their son die, and they can't tell anyone. And it was all that kind of stuff that we really got into. Yeah, and you definitely did, you know, thinking back all of those issues, those are the stories that you, that were really, uh, you guys did tell them. So that's pretty good. That's awesome. And speaking of Death Superman, that did get news. I was like everywhere, like when when it happened. But uh, but that Superman uh, created a lot of news because I think the new Fifty Two Superman just was just killed mm-hmm. recently. So and no one made. I don't think that made national news at all. So let's just that we were we were in a particular time and place. Uh, I think in terms of media, in terms of what we were as an industry, and all of that stuff, where. You know, it could only happen that way once. And uh, we were accused by many of putting together a marketing stunt to sell more comics. And no, because as we put together the story, there was no thought of marketing it and how we would do it. We come up with the story first. Later, the marketing department steps in and says, you know, what can we do with this? We put this together as a story. Now, I will cop to the fact that, yes, we hoped it would sell. But trust me when I say, no one sits in the room and says, let's do this story that doesn't sell. You know, at that point, you're cutting your, your throat. So, um, yeah, we always hoped it would get more attention, but there was no way that we ever could have seen it become sort of the cause celeb that it did or get the amount of attention it ended up getting. Yeah, it was it was pretty massive. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, okay, so I want to step back. Uh, 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 you talked about... Uh, working with a group of creatives mm-hmm. for a Superman uh, title, um, but you also worked on Zero Hour yep. as well. So, um, were you involved with? Because Zero Hour is, uh, is uh, how would you describe? Well, it, it's, what it, it's a industry event, like a like a universe event in these comics. It kind of changes timelines, continuity of the characters. Right. So it's a. I guess, I'm not sure what you what that term is for. Well, I think what, we, what I look back at that was we, reboot has become the more common term now for something like that. Okay. Uh, I, I would look back on that and say it was more of a reshaping and re-energizing of the okay. one. And then, um, so it's it touches um, almost every character in the in the DC lineup, if you will. And uh, so, how is writing uh, Zero Hour, which is uh, it was a four issue series, right? Is that five, five issues? Yeah, because yeah. four is a zero. Um, uh, how, how's that writing that one? Um, are you communication with all the other book graders with that one? How, how to play out, or do you just uh, listen? You know, it, whenever you do something like that, yeah, it was it becomes an incredibly time intensive exercise mm-hmm. and can be incredibly frustrating. And I and I would say to this day that is probably the single hardest project I ever worked on, but there were a lot of different reasons for that. Um, not the least of which is I was writing it and drawing it. Mm-hmm. And when we released it, it came out weekly. So it was, you know, five issues in a row, of like 25 pages each that I wrote and drew. So just from the mechanics of working on it, it was incredibly labor intensive that way in something that had to fit into a very condensed amount of time. I mean, these days, it's pretty hard to find an artist who can draw five issues of anything that's going to come out five months in a row, much less five weeks. So, you know, 
slackers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, the reality is um, I went to New York a few times. Uh, I'd sit down with the editorial staff and say, this is what it is. Here's what the idea is. Here's how it can work for your book. Here's how it can work for your character. And then I interacted with the various creative teams as it related to their specific characters along the way. So at one point, my office, because this is pre, for the most part, pre-internet, right? Mm. So any paper I had or any story material I had was all paper. And I just had stacks and stacks and stacks of scripts from every single book DC was publishing and trying to read through it all and coordinate it. Um, and it was just, as I said, so incredibly time-intensive and labor-intensive that it really was. I mean, th- there were a couple of times where I thought I was just going to crack. <laughs> you know, I was going to lose it. But we kept it together. We got it out. Um, it did what it needed to do in that. It provided a new launch point for every book in the line. They all had a zero issue. Mm-hmm. And it took some of the characters that needed that reshaping I talked about and gave them the opportunity to scrape some of the barnacles off because what we had had was by that point, we had a Green Lantern that had gray in his temples, you know, Oliver Queen, who was Green Arrow, we'd seen him, and they were celebrating their 45th and 46th birthdays. And so the problem started to be, do you want these guys to become your new Justice Society, which was the World War II generation of heroes? Because if you don't, you can't show them aging every year. We have to find a way to roll some of this back. And that's sort of what it was about. Uh, have you worked on a zero-hour project since then? I, I, I don't remember. I, I have worked on um, some crossover stuff since then, not at that deep uh, level, not at that capacity. Okay. Um, but I'm still waiting for someone out there to come across to write and draw five or six issues of a series like that in a row that's going to come out every week. And uh, I ain't seen it yet, and I think I'm going to be long dead in my grave before anyone does it, if ever. So there well, that's a, that's a good claim to fame to have. I don't think I don't yeah. think you'll ever see that. No, no I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, uh, you also worked on uh, Tangent Comics, which is. Did you work on um, Tangent Comics? Was about Stan Lee's reinterpretation of DC Comics? Is that right? Or did, did, no? Stan Lee's reinterpretation was uh, there was a, a series of specials called Stan Lee Reimagines. The oh, DC. Reimagines. Okay, okay. What, what Tangent was. Um, When Julie Schwartz, who was an editor at DC, Mm -hmm. relaunched DC characters, at that point, the Justice Society characters had been gone for quite a while, and he brought back the the Flash. And basically, all he used was the name The Flash and the fact that he had super speed. He reimagined him as Barry Allen uh, in Central City, wearing the red suit and all that stuff. And I, I was in the office a couple of times, and I said, wouldn't it be great if we could just start over again? and use all just the names and come up with new stuff. And for example, I said, like, if you were reimagining Batman, he might've been man bat who was a character we had seen before, which is sort of like a, you know, half man, half bat sort of uh, villain for Batman. Uh, but I said, you know, instead of flash being a super speed character, flash might be a burst of light that just appears in a flash, you know, like a flash camera. And, and I just said, you know, we could reimagine everything. And, and once again, um, the folks at DC were nice enough to say, well, that sounds interesting. Why don't you go ahead and, and write that up and start to build it? And so I put it together as a project. I wrote the overall pitch for how it would work and also said, well, we need to get in other writers 
so that they can re each hone in on the characters. So I would have written, for example, a springboard for each of the books, but then let them really take off and run with it from there. So the springboard would just be like a, a few paragraphs treatment. Yeah. 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 It, and that way you could have the differences. Like for the, we had a character called the Adam who I said is the most powerful character in the DC in that tangent universe. He's that Superman, if you will. And the Joker instead of a villain is a hero, but here's what makes it different. And, and I would just provide those few sentences that would delineate the differences among the characters and then let them each take it and run with it, which I thought it was a lot of fun. I think we did some good stuff. Yeah. I thought it was a um, breath of fresh air would be one phrase I would use, but I I like the approach. I like the, uh, the visual style of it. I thought it was really a great, really kind of shook things up a little bit. I felt like it was like nice to get a nice creative um, direction with with that, if you will. So no problem. Yep. Thank you. I, I do want to mention briefly, uh, I guess the the uh, new fifty two, I guess, and how we're moving away from that. And uh, I guess I don't know, just uh, what you, what your thoughts on the the new direction of DC mm-hmm. and, and and how's that? Because you're working on action comics right now, uh, yeah. yeah right. Um, well, I think you know um, comics have always gone through periods where they sort of reshape, reimagine, reformat, reboot different words for it, but where they shake things up. Okay. And, and it happened in the, from the forties into the fifties when the justice society, which I mentioned earlier, kind of went away. Mm-hmm. Captain America went away. Then later Stan Lee brought Captain America back in Avengers number four and flash was brought back in showcase. And, and, uh, you know, things have been reconstructed all throughout comics history. New 52 was one such reimagining of the DC universe, or reshaping, if you will. And I think right now we're in the midst of something called rebirth, where what we're doing is sort of looking at it and saying, okay, some things, as far as the New 52, went too far. And what we have to do is go back and find out what the core aspects of some of these characters are and, and analyze what it is that makes them work in the first place that hones in on why they do what they do. And I think that's always the biggest question, what makes Superman different from Batman, different from Flash as an individual in terms of sense of purpose, in terms of their villains and everything else. And that's what we're in the midst of right now. And it's been really successful. We have a Wonder Woman that is kind of, I think, uh, being properly reframed now in the parameters in which she works best. And I think that's true of Superman as well. So it's, it's really, you know, sometimes when a character is around long enough, it is like a ship and they accumulate those barnacles and they drift off course and they get a little too far afield and and you have to steer the ship back on course, scrape it clean and get it going again. And that's kind of what we're doing right now. Right. Yeah. And there's something you said, like, you know, there's a, this generation Superman, you know, is going to be different than the next one and, and so on. So I, f- I feel like you, you, you totally need to like, you know, go back and, and re- reimagine it. So. Right, right. You know, when I was a kid, there, uh, Denny O'Neill uh, had written a Superman story called Kryptonite No More. Mm-hmm. And it was in that story, I think, I'm trying to remember exactly how it went out, but all the kryptonite in the world was turned to iron, and he did this great scene where Superman picks up a chunk of kryptonite and takes a bite out of it, and, you know, basically says need salt or something like that. And the story wasn't about getting rid of kryptonite. It was more about getting rid of a certain sensibility in Superman comics. And it sort of reframed and relaunched the character. Mm 
And as a kid, I thought, aha, that's great. That's, it feels new to me now. And it feels a little different. And it is necessary to do that. Um, every, you know, there's not a set number of years. It's just you recognize when somehow a character moves so far astray that it's moved outside those parameters that that book or character will belong in, and you have to pull it back. Okay. Cool. And uh, it seems like Rebirth's been a great success so far. And uh, so, yeah, so I think it's great. Because uh, I remember uh, something was, I went to, uh, I don't know, I, I was not a big fan of uh, 52, but uh, I appreciated what they were trying to do with it. So, mm-hmm. uh, so that's, I think. But, but as I was there when uh, I think Jim Lee was at the Comic Con in San Diego, and it was like they almost, they, they were close to announcing 52 at the time, but they hadn't. But uh, the thing that kind of caught my eye was like, he said, uh, the next issue of, uh, like, you know, comic book is going to be someone's first issue. Yeah. And so, and that's, and I was like, well, that's great to say and think and hone in on that, but it's not really what I would say to a bunch of people in, uh, in cosplay who've traveled all that way. But you know what? There, there is so much truth to that statement and it'll, it'll never fail to amaze me that somebody will come up to me like at a, at a con or store signing and and they'll bring me something that I might not look back on and see as an incredible success, but they'll say, wow, this issue of Spider-Man that you did was the first comic I ever bought. And I thought Ben Riley as Spider-Man was the greatest idea ever. And everyone deserves to have that feeling that what they picked up and bought is somehow their own. And, And I think that's what it's about. So even though with, Superman right now, we brought back sort of this previous Superman that is married to Lois Lane. What makes it feel new and special is that they have their son, John. So it, it harkens back to something that was there before, while at the same time bring something new to the mix. And that's part of what can make it now feel like, you know, for that 14-year-old kid who gets the book for the first time, that it's his. And I think that's always important to do. Right, and I, I do want to, you mentioned that I do want to say that that's I'm interested to see how you how you take that story uh, because I'm a big Flash fan if I haven't admitted already but uh, uh, the Wally West Flash like his series just kind of uh, petered towards the end and I felt like uh, it was because he had two kids right and, and I didn't think the writers uh, knew how to write for them or or write stories for them. Yeah, that happens. That yeah. happens sometimes. Yes. Yeah, and so it's you know it's it's one thing to say it's a young adult male, uh, and then another thing to say like oh he has a girlfriend, uh, then okay we get married, and then like then the family happens. You know, it's kind of you know t- I don't know where that is. I mean, I'm not sure that's a fair assessment to make, but uh, I just felt like that's what I felt like when I was reading reading the end of that that series. So, but uh, but I'm really interested to see how you tackle that one. So. Yeah, go that, so. I think we have some good stuff set up for it. Yes. No. Okay. Cool. All right. Um, and then I just want to talk about uh, you know we're kind of a tech show, so I just want to see how has the internet transformed comics since you've been working in the field for? Well, in a lot of ways. I mean, the just from the pure method of working, it is you know when I would have started, there was no way to scan your pages and and get them into the office. The only way to do it was to either bring them in. Or else, you know, uh, box them up, drop them off at FedEx and get them in that way. It was, there wasn't a lot of in between. Mm -hmm. Um, 
once we had the ability to start to scan artwork in, it meant that the physical piece of artwork didn't necessarily have to be in the office. It, it could, you know, you might still send it to an inker for inking, uh, or you might now find them inking it digitally. And that's if they aren't creating it digitally in the first place. Right. Uh, certainly all lettering and color is applied digitally now, uh, where it certainly wouldn't have been when I was starting. And the other part of it is, I think the extent to which fandom now has access to uh, news and prose in general is something I could not have imagined as a kid. I mean, you know, people now, my my book will come out, say, on a Wednesday at 3 o'clock, and by 3.02, I might get a tweet that says, this is great, Mm. or this sucks, what's wrong with you? You know, and it's just, you know... When, when I was 15 years old, I couldn't imagine uh, having tried to have had that dialogue with a Gil Kane or a Julie Schwartz or a yeah. Prince Juan, you know? Yeah. Um, but now it's there. And that has added um, this, I, I won't even call it a wrinkle, it's, it's a tidal wave to the fan pro publisher relationship that I think we're still all trying to get a handle on. How do you handle the, 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 the fandom? Like with, because you're you're on Twitter and you have a website, um, you seem to be doing it very well, handling very well. Do, do you get like a have a thick skin? I guess is. I, I don't know that it is a thick skin that's required. I think what it more is is you have to you have to have a level of trust in yourself that is absolutely key. Because you know um, if you're going to read ten reviewers who give you a good review and embrace what they say and retweet that and embrace that, then you have to embrace it when they say you suck. And, and so I think what you really have to do as a creator, and I learned this a long, long time ago, is you have to have faith in yourself and trust in yourself that your ideas are right. And it's important to listen to what people have to say, but only to a certain point. Because after that, when it's you and the keyboard or you and the blank page, you you have to trust yourself because ultimately, you know, you're working on something that your name is going to be on it. And it's all about what you think about your material and what you want for those characters anyway. And that's that level of trust you have to have in what you do. I, I think that's a great way to end the show, Dan. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's like, I can't get, I don't think, that's, I don't think we could do any better for ending like that. How can uh, people find you online and... Uh, and, and give you praise and no yeah, at, <laughs> at Twitter I am the Dan Jurgens and uh, you can also go to danjurgens.com and uh, email me through my site. Uh, those are the best ways to get a hold of me. And you're currently writing uh, action comics. I am writing action comics starring Superman and Company, which comes out twice a month from DC Comics, and then late September or early October we relaunch Batman Beyond as Batman Beyond Rebirth, and and do much the same thing with him that we've been doing across the line. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time again. My pleasure, Christopher. Hope to talk to you soon. Very good. Take care.